again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Alpharetta Tech Talk. I'm John Ray, and we are coming to you from the Business Radio X studio inside Renaissance Bank in Alpharetta. I want to welcome an old friend, Dave Bernard. Dave is with the In Election Group, but he's also got a uh, organization Concap Global that we're going to be spending our time on today, and we're kind of shifting gears today in terms of what we usually talk about. We're going to talk about raising money, which is important to all entrepreneurs, right? That's right. Including tech entrepreneurs. But uh, Dave, welcome. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Always glad to be here. It's Uh, awesome to have you. Uh, So give folks that don't know you an introduction, a brief introduction to who you are and what you're up to, and we'll get into uh, Concap Global. Good, good. I've had um, the best thing that's relevant, I think, is that I've had a 40-year career in software development. Uh, and about close to 20 years ago, I put out my own shingle, started the election group with my wife, actually. And we've uh, that company has, over the years, built a lot of um, uh, uh, custom software systems, mostly web-based, for con- companies all over the world. Right now, we have a small set of customers. Some have been with us for more than 10 years. We have one that's been with us for 14 years. Mm straight and um we just build you know exactly what they need and then they're typically some of the larger systems you'll come across out there we actually got that verified last year when we had oh, really uh, we had an audit done our customer actually had an audit done on this very large system we built for them all these years and they had done thousands of these audits it was a dutch company actually and i had to actually go to europe to meet with them a couple of times but um they had, I, I remember they had a chart with all the little dots on it on size mm. on how all these systems that they uh, reviewed over the years and ours was way at one end uh, <laughs> with a small group of dots as in terms of size. So I think that system is one of the more complex systems built, right. period, uh, right. in a lot of ways. So we're proud of those kind of things. We, sure. we tend to get the hard problems in that business. But that business – you know, in the course of building a business, you network a lot. You meet a lot of different kind of people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're entrepreneurs at heart, so we've built some other companies, and they've come and gone. Mm-hmm. And we've put money into them, and that's come and gone. Right. Uh, so we, we've we been kind of angel investors ourselves in our own deals and in other deals. So mm-hmm. in the course of all that, we've built a rather large network of people in the business of financing uh, entrepreneurs in various stages. And, and that's where Concap Global comes in. Right. Yeah. Really, uh, I had been doing this job for a long time for free, mm-hmm. and my wife objected to that. Um, <laughs> Smart lady. <laughs> so that I was fortunate enough to be introduced to a fella, uh, my business, who's now my business partner, Martin, and mm-hmm. he's actually an Englishman who lives in France at the moment but works in Dubai. Mm. And we just hit it off, mm. and we said, look – we can put our networks together. Mm-hmm. And that's really what this is about, is just monetizing this network that's been built up over the decades. Sure. You know, why do you have all these connections on LinkedIn, right? Right. So I can actually find a way to monetize this stuff and in ways that provides value to both ends. Mm-hmm. The other thing that really kind of scratched an itch is that the software development or technology business in general is a problem-solving business, right? So mm-hmm. it – what I found with financial services, especially the larger, more complex deals, they are solving very tough problems. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know a lot of entrepreneurs have gone through that. That's a big problem. How do you raise money? That's a big problem to be solved. So we're in the business of really connecting 
both sides to each other. We work both sides of the equation, that is, investors and deals equally. And I would say to characterize this thing, um, we're really sourcing primarily deals in the U.S., primarily outside the major hubs like New York, Boston, and the Bay Area. So we're, we're kind of looking for more of a blue ocean to, to pull deals out of. And we are sourcing information, uh, uh, not information, rather money, almost exclusively overseas. Mm. There's a couple of reasons for that. One is that we have a lot of contacts overseas, and there's a lot of money actually looking to, to go to the U.S. The U.S. is a huge gravity well for mm-hmm. money mm-hmm. because it's considered a very safe place to put money. Right. You know, there's a lot of shady characters in the financial services business out there, and I got a couple of stories about. about <laughs> oh those come guys. on, Dave! Right, shady characters in the financial yeah, business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And part of it for me, you know, I had to, I had to research all this. I mean, there's a lot of regulation. You know, you have the mm-hmm. SEC, you have Fenra, sure. And how, how do I fit into that? I mean, I don't want to go to jail for doing a bad decision without knowing it out of ignorance, right? Right. So, so what I did was um, I researched this whole thing and got a lot of advice, and this was conflicting. There's a lot of conflicting advice about it. But at the end of the day, I decided to become a registered broker uh, just to make sure that I was covered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, the rules of the SEC and FINRA are designed to protect investors. Right. It's really not designed to protect the deals, mm-hmm. but the investors. And you know, the investors are really trying to protect are kind of the everyday investors. All right. And they would call that the, the technical term is unsophisticated. Mm-hmm. So they have definitions of what sophistication in investing is. If you're an intu- institutional investor, you're sophisticated. So mm-hmm. the SEC is not as worried about you guys. Right. But if you're kind of a, uh, you know, uh, somebody who's got a million or $2 million net worth and you're going to start throwing money at startups, we want to protect you. Sure. That's a good way to lose it all. Mm-hmm. So I decided to get registered. I did that. I took three exams. And it wasn't too terribly difficult, quite frankly. Um, you know, there's a lot of good study aids online, and you go in and take the exam. It's, you know, it's kind of like a KGB interview. You have to leave your phone. You, you can't, <laughs> you can't get up out of your chair and all this stuff. But, but I still, it wasn't that hard to do. I think I did the entire, all three exams within about a three month period or so. Okay, and got it all done. Okay, um, and you also learn a lot by taking the exams. True, uh, especially for the ones I took, which is just a straight broker license. I have what is called an 82. Okay. So I'm not a dealer. Right. What I can do is make a market with other people's securities, but I can't sell my own securities. Right. So you, you connect. That's right. I'm yeah. really in the little B broker mm-hmm. is what I am. Okay. And actually, I am not allowed to be a financial uh, advisor. So there is a, I have to actually pull back once I've introduced these two entities to each other, I can sit in, I can make suggestions, but I can't advise that's that I need a different kind of registration to do that. So really, and I get paid on success. So I get paid a percentage of the money that I, that I raise and only if it works. Well, we've probably already got enough folks out there offering their own deals already, right? So <laughs> right. The, the world's littered with those folks. So, uh, so uh, uh, matchmaking uh, on a on a, the basis on what you're talking about sounds pretty interesting, yeah. awfully interesting. But you've got a kind of a special angle on it, right? So you, you mentioned, and let's what we were talking offline about this. It sounds like there's two parts of this. One is as you mentioned, where you're sourcing deals. And you, you were talking a little bit about some of the characteristics of 
the non-New York, non-Boston, non-Bay Area deals that you are in the middle of. Yeah, yeah. There's a. It's what's really interesting is on the U.S. side. There's a fantastic amount of great innovation and great business people and teams out there that are not in those areas. Sure. And that you know when you think about it, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. So a, there's a lot. There's a there's great networks of investors also in what we might consider a second tier city like Nashville or Indianapolis or St. Louis. And we find reaching into those more hungry places also gives us, you know, an edge and it, it, not only from deal flow, but from possible investor angles as well. Um, the other aspect of it is that our overseas investors really want to put money into the U S. So the more interesting we can, bring more, more interesting deals we can bring to them, the better and ones that fit their criteria. So part of being a CONCAP stands for concierge capital. Part of being a boutique approach here is we get to know both sides of the equation really, really well. Mm-hmm. And actually by law, we need to do due, due diligence on everyone involved. And we do that very thoroughly. And when you're dealing with an overseas person who's, who wants to put you know $100 million into a deal, you got to go visit them you got to go look them in the eye. They're not going to do something like that over email. So we do a lot of traveling. Um, they're very happy for to uh, meet with us. They roll out the red carpet, you know, um, especially as a registered person. I was really, really surprised because I wasn't expecting that. But they, they don't see many registered persons come and see them. Mm. So I, that was just unintentional on my part. Mm. But that has been a big differentiator they they the level of trust goes up and this is a trust business it's a relationship business sure you know nobody's going to trust you with that kind of money without knowing a lot about you yeah i was in a meeting last week where we're about to close a very large real estate deal it's a three thousand acres in florida is being converted to live work play golf course even a town center Mm. all by a developer and we've we found an investor for that. And it's, this is kind of a vignette into how it works. So this is a guy that in London and he specializes in real estate deals and he fronts about 30, 30 investors who each have more than a hundred million dollars to invest. They can each stroke checks of at least a hundred million dollars. So what he does is he sources deals from all over. He loves us deals. They love resort deals. Actually, this is not a resort deal, but it fell into his, his uh, bailiwick, but just to see him in action, how this all works is was really, really telling. So once he got on board and liked the deal, he was the partner in the deal. Now he is working really hard to make this work and he's going to pull out every kind of creative tool he's got to make it work because he can see that this thing's going to make money. So originally the ask was $20 million to get this thing going. He thoroughly reviewed the deal, the investor. And he said, look, after the 20 million spent, you're going to be coming to us for another 10. We can see that. So we're going to just give you the whole 30 right now mm. because that ensures success. Right. And then we had another meeting. This was just here in Atlanta. I actually flew here. We had the whole team in the Buckhead club over here. And he actually looked at the deal and we were really getting down into the financials. And he asked about a certain, a couple of items in the plan that may or may not happen. And they involve sums of money. He said, look, we got to cover that risk. So let's just put another 5 million into this and cover it. Because to my guys, the difference between 30 and 35, there's no difference in those two numbers. Mm. They look the same. Right. 
So what he's done a really good job of de-risking the deal, mm-hmm. which is in his best interest and his investors' best interest, and it's in the deal's best interest as well. Sure. So really, the best way to approach these guys is to treat them like partners, you know, and not treat them as an adversary or treat them as somebody who's coming in to, to mess with your company and stuff like that. They These are very knowledgeable people. They've done a lot of deals. They know what their money's worth. And they can they can figure out what the best way to do this is. Well, and these aren't uh, the investors you're dealing with are not um, uh, employees at a, a venture capital firm. No. Okay, no. so um, you're uh, right, right, right. And that's a good point because there is what we call a lot of institutional money out there. Sure, you know, it could be investment banks, banks, mm-hmm. VCs. Um, but actually, I would say most of the people we're working with are non-bank entities. Mm-hmm. Uh, they could be family offices. Mm-hmm. They could be an individual like this who represents just a bunch of friends. Right. Um, and but we do deal with some brokerages uh, for different reasons. Like if you want to, if you want to fund your operation with bond money, you're probably going to have to go through a brokerage that can issue bonds, for example. Um, but I, what I've learned, for example, if you even if you go to an SBA loan. If you go get an SBA loan, which a lot of small companies can be eligible for, um, you can get an SBA loan through a non-bank entity. Uh, and those there are non very large non-bank entities that do that. And there's banking entities, of course, that do that as well. So I, I think once you're looking to raise money, you need to talk to somebody who's got a good view of the landscape out there because – and I'll, I'll make a – I'll make kind of a controversial statement here because equity is the last thing you want to do. I mean, it's the absolute last thing. You should be breathing your last breath before you accept equity. You called that a deathbed option before we came on the air. Absolutely. If you can, if you can finance your work with debt, it's, it's so much better. And, and here's the, here's kind of the scenario you want to get yourself into. And we have some deals that look like this in technology and in other sectors. We, ha- we have a couple of companies that have been around for 5, 10, 20 years, and all of a sudden they've released a new product or new service, and hit- it has taken off, but they don't have the cash flow to service it. Mm. Okay, so this is a perfect situation to get s- acquire some short-term debt, get some 18, 24, 36-month debt, um, and then you can service that. You build your revenue up, pay the loan off, and now you're off and running on your own revenue stream. Mm. I mean, that's a... We see a lot of those kind of things, mm-hmm. actually. And they're, you know, you almost become the victim of your own success, right? You grow too fast. And so you should, but all those assets you've built up, cash flow, you may have some other kind of assets there, can be collateralized. Mm-hmm. And we're really good at doing things like that. If you're a startup with no collateral and no cash flow, there is no institutional money for that. It doesn't exist. Right. You need a rich uncle. There's not really even any non-bank money for that. And part of it is the size kind of parameters. So a lot of people come to me and say, you know a lot of rich guys. Why won't they write me a $100,000 check? This is great stuff. I said, you know, number one, they're all great stuff. Every deal we get is great stuff. Okay, so that will last about five minutes. The next thing they're going to want to do is see how they're going to make money off of you. Right. By giving you money. So you got to have a good story for that. If you don't have any revenue, then you have not proven to them that you can make a single dollar, mm-hmm. much less a lot more dollars. Right. So when you don't have traction, you have no leverage in the conversation. And if somebody does give you money, they're going to probably take your company in that conversation. So to me, the number one thing, I tell a lot of small companies that come to me, number one, 
come back to me when you've got some revenue mm-hmm. and we can talk. The other thing is just because somebody's got a lot of money doesn't mean they're going to uh, stroke a small check. It's a lot of work to do a deal. It's a lot of paperwork. And really the difference in paperwork between a million dollar deal and a hundred million dollars deal is almost nothing. So a guy with a hundred million dollars does not want to do $100 million deals. He wants to do two fifties, five twenties or one, $100 million right. deal. Mm-hmm. Cause just the work involved alone will keep him from that. So those are a couple of maybe a little counterintuitive, but right. And, and I think what you're getting in terms of counseling, um, uh, companies that are looking for smaller amounts of money relative to the kind of deals that you're you're involved in with Concap Global, you're saying don't bother, don't look, don't look at the larger um, investors, worldwide investors out right. there that are you know private family groups, what have you, because they're not going to be interested in your wasting your time. That's right. I would say you need a you need a rich uncle, family, you know, friends of what they call friends and family money, and mm-hmm. you know, there's a reason why. You know, by the time they come to us, they've already been through rounds of friends and family money. Mm -hmm. Um, I would really, for us, we found it very difficult to raise amounts of less than five million, and even that's iffy. Mm -hmm. A lot, most of the investors we have have twenty million dollar minimums, and when you get into the institution side, those numbers can get very, very large. They can get to nine and ten figure minimums, Mm -hmm. Um, and that's just because of the way they're used to doing, and it accelerates their returns over the same amount of time. So there is a lot of capital out there. I've seen a single proof of cash out of a bank account that had $147 billion in it. Mm. So there are mounds of money. Most, a lot of these guys have more money than they can possibly spend. Even if they bought a fleet of the most expensive boats in the world, it still would be hard to spend their money. Right. So they are looking for that. That's the good thing. They're looking for places to put their money. Mm-hmm. And they're not necessarily looking for 20 or 30% returns. On a debt financing deal, they're happy to get 8, 10, 12% over 36 months. That's a nice use of their money. They get it all back. They can redeploy it. So there's a lot of people looking for income off their investments. And when you have that kind of money, you can make on 10%, you can make a pretty good living just moving your money around every every so often. Sure. Sure. So folks, if you just joined us, we're speaking with Dave Bernard. He's with Concap Global. Dave, talk a little bit about the sectors that you see. We're, uh, we're obviously technology oriented, but you, you deal in more than technology, yes. but, but, uh, uh, talk about some of the sectors that you see that are, that are folks that are interested in your folks that are interested in that you work with at Concap Global, whether, whether it's technology or not. Right. So we have about 60 deals in our pipeline right now, and we have hundreds of investors in our network. The The 60 deals are constantly changing. We get new deals in every week. We may take a few off here and there when we find out more about them. But uh, in general, they, we get a, what's interesting is we get a view of a very broad landscape. Mm-hmm. So right now, um, in different parts of the world are interested in different things. So when you have a lot of money, then the, the – there's actually only so many things you can put your money in. Like real estate's one of them. Those deals are big enough to handle the kind of money you want to invest. Energy is another one. Renewable energy is huge right now. Mm. Microgrids, solar, wind, all that kind of stuff's very, very um, innovative and growing fast. And there's actually supported by legislation in much of Western Europe, for example. Mm. 
So, uh, and China is pushing that as well. So anything in the renewable energy space is very hot these days. Similarly, anything that attacks the water problem that we're going to have worldwide and we're increasingly have such a, and there's a lot of ag tech um, uh, deals out there that uh, go after this. For example, there's vertical farming where you can put two acres of farming in a single con- shipping container, for example. Mm. If you, and you, and you also have um, IoT, Internet of Things applications that go in the ground and measure the amount of water you really need to put in the ground when you're harvesting different kinds of crops. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, hydroponics is another one that's very hot these days. But if you also marry, let's say you marry a vertical farm or hydroponics farm with a solar a micro, microgrid solar array, now you have two things that can enhance each other. So a lot of times we do look for those kind of synergies too because in parts of the world, different things are wanted. For example, I wanted to – I've been pushing my Middle Eastern friends to invest in some of the vertical farmings. Their problem is that um, – and I get this directly from the mouth, a horse's mouth when I talk to them. They say, well, it's all micro farming here right now. There's nobody farming on multiple acres. Hmm. Everybody kind of farms on their own. And right. the rest of the stuff's imported. So there's not a demand for it. So that's not a place to take those deals. Mm-hmm. You know, we can take those deals to other parts of the world and really maybe even back into the U.S. We'll have some U.S. investors more interested in that too because you're not – and plus you have – and this is the way you got to think about these things. For example, just because it's a great idea doesn't mean it's a good fit. So if you if you already have 100 acres of arable land that you're, that you're farming, why would you try to – why would you put 50 containers on it? You already had the land, mm-hmm. you know, so you have to look at more of a greenfield approach to that kind of technology. Where is it that you can't farm now at all that you could put this thing? So a lot of the things we look at are along those lines. Another big sector is healthcare. Again, these sectors, healthcare, energy, real estate, food, is those are things that are universal. So any way you can improve that and make it more convenient, uh, you know, make it more cost effective – that's very attractive out there. So healthcare is, and healthcare is a very broad category, right? So it could be it could be diagnostics, which you're getting automated at a very fast rate. It could be treatments, which are automated at a lower rate. It could be remote telehealth type stuff. It could be hospitals themselves. One of the deals we have is a massive, actually a whole city being built in Africa, as funded by a billionaire there, mm. and he. Uh, and it's centered around a very large hospital because Kenya has relatively poor health care. There's a lot of medical tourism going on in Kenya, out of the out of the country. Mm. He's built a whole city, centered around a, ho- a hospital, and he's gonna. It's gonna have its own power source. Mm. So we're we're in the process of finding funding for the uh, ten thousand megawatt microgrid they're gonna put in to that city, uh, and that's getting done this year. Dave, one of the things you talk about. Um, is the problem with a lot of innovation is that the deals are too small. Yeah. Unpack that. Well, I think that if you're going to attract money, you have to have something bigger to show. A lot of times somebody may come to me with a three or $4 million financing want. And I'll say, can we make this a 10 or $20 million deal? Do you have a 10 or $20 million plan or problem you're solving? Right. Yeah. Make it bigger. Think bigger. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you're already got revenue, then you can make that pitch because you've already shown that you can make a buck. Sure. And then you can say, look, this is what our, our plan is. Like the real estate example I gave earlier where the guy said, you're going to need more money. 
That's the position you want to be in where somebody sees that potential and says, let's just go ahead and give you that now. And believe me, when these guys are doing debt deals, they're not tranching the money. They're not doling it out. They're giving it all to you up front. That's what they want to do. Hmm. They want to mess with having to manage giving out 10 million now and 10 million later. Just want to have it all working. Right. You know, at once. So we do have those conversations. And I think it's very good for an entrepreneur to have a lot of times entrepreneurs think, well, I got to keep my ask down low. So I'm going to increase my ability to get the money. I think increase the odds. Right. I say, no, it actually decreases the odds. Mm. You know, what you want to do is have the ask bigger, got to paint a bigger picture. Which as you say is counterintuitive. It is. Yeah, it is. Right. Um, so you mentioned ag tech, um, I guess from a technology point of view, what other sectors do you see? What, what What's the demand there? A lot of, in healthcare, there's a lot of technology. Mm. Um, you know, there's there's a whole sector of people that deal just in the pharmaceutical side. And we're not really in, have any of those deals right now. But a lot of what we have, for example, is some of the diagnostic equipment. Uh, that's a very big um, aspect of the technology innovation going on now. Uh, delivery of treatment, delivery of care. Um, innovating, even in marketplaces such as drug delivery, you know, how, you, how can I optimize, um, how to deliver drugs at a lower price, for example, which is really a U.S. problem. It's not really a, an overseas problem. Um, so healthcare is definitely, there's all kinds of technology going on there. Like I said, ag tech's got a bunch of stuff. Renewable energy is, is heavily technology oriented, um, I recently took a tour of the Vogel nuclear plants being built, the second uh, reactors being built over there. Um, and uh, it, I actually got a briefing from the head of R&D for Southern Company. And they were talking about all the innovation going on in these different kind of like molten salt reactors and molten metal reactors and all these other kind of things. There's a lot of innovation going on there because the energy problem worldwide is big. And let me tell you something. I, I've had this conversation as well, if you if you look at the water problem, the water problem can be solved by the energy solution. So in Dubai, they get all of their water out of the ocean. Mm. There's desalination plants everywhere in mm-hmm. Dubai. They're well hidden. It I've only noticed a couple, but I know they're there. So but what is what is desalination? It's a process of electrolysis. That's what it is. So if you are able to drive the the cost of electricity down to near zero, then the cost of electrolysis and desalination would become very, very low. And now you can just pull all the water you want out of the ocean. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people already thinking along those lines and thinking about that entire supply chain of thought. Right. Saying if we can push electricity costs down, 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 all kinds of other downstream effects happen. So that's an important thing to consider when you're pitching your idea. Does your idea actually have bigger consequences that you could even think. And that may fit into somebody's larger vision. So you may be able to sell a renewable energy project to a guy who's interested in, in finding water. Okay. So that's kind of the lesson there. That's why I think if you get, if you spend too much time in your own silo, you're going to acquire the biases of it. Sure. You're going to miss connections to other things. That's where invention happens. Yeah, you're, you'll miss the waterfall effect of what you're trying to do. And that makes your deal look bigger and, and more attractive. And, 
and and more likely to get funded right. by the kind of investors that you're working with. That's right. Right. Cool. Um, so, Dave, talk a little bit about um, the the this investor and I mean, I guess there's no typical profile other than size uh, because different folks are looking at different things and motivated. Yes. By different. They are. Uh, ideas and different um, uh, dreams, maybe. That's right, and yeah. that's why it's it will uh, it'll defeat most attempts at automating the broker process <laughs> because you really got which is know, probably a good thing, right? A lot of these guys don't even want their information out there, of course. Anyway, mm-hmm. and they want a personal interaction. They want mm-hmm. to trust you because mm-hmm. they've they've all been burned by somebody, mm-hmm. um, and so. It's still it's a great business to be in from that aspect because I'm a technology guy and I'm I look at every problem as something that can be automated just by um, by training and learning. But this business is really I think pretty automated proof. There are people who have tried it, but it's really attacking the lower end of the market. But if you really want to do more sizable deals, and I'm saying five million and up, you got to have a face to face. It's eye contact. Mm. It's do I trust you? Right. I'm going to. You know, the guy came from guy who came from London to work on this real estate deal. I mean, he and I had breakfast together before we had this meeting about the deal, and we had talked plenty of times on Skype and things like that. But we had a very we had a very detailed discussion about each other's lives. Mm. You know, and that's a very important part of this process. Mm-hmm. You've got to pass muster. You know, I, I'll tell you one example here that just happened to us, and that was a uh, I was about to book a ticket to Lagos, Nigeria, and then on to Nairobi uh, to go do work on a couple of deals. And I was looking up, I was given some names of people by the deal that the investors they had already found. And I just did some cursory Google checks. And I said, there is no way I'm going to go talk to that guy. I mean, this, the stuff on Google about him is Mm. awful. Mm. My wife would object if I went and talked to him. So we're not doing that. Right. So, you know, we, we have to do those kinds of things. We do, we do a lot of due diligence on both sides of it. We, you know, and the wonderful thing about the internet is you can find out a lot about people out there. Oh, for sure. Now, uh, Dave, one of the things you talked about, uh, before we came on was, um, uh, in terms of people, uh, was, was the way a team gets checked out. Yeah. Talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, I think when you when you look at the larger deals, and let's just say that really anything above five million, I could, I would say, uh, I've seen it in really large deals and smaller ones. But the team, once they like your idea, the very next thing they're going to look at is the team. Probably even before they look at even the idea of financing it, um, they'll look at some basic financial KPIs. But the team is really important. We've had some instances. Um, where we got them very far down the road with an investor on a, on a large deal, and they got to the team and said, you know, this is a mining deal. What do we have? What do we got? A guy at the top who's never been in mining before, and then we have another guy who's a rancher. And, you know, that's not going to pass muster with these guys. Right. And we have another investor who's who fronts a whole bunch of money, I mean billions of dollars, and – their, their rule of thumb is that if I can't make three phone calls and find somebody who knows people on this team, we're not doing it. Mm. So with these larger deals, execution uh, predictability is everything because they want it to work. 
Right. That's how they make their money. They want you, they want the deal to be successful. So to the biggest predictor that really is the team. Have they done it before? Are they world renowned metallurgists and geologists on a mining deal? You know, are they world renowned um, healthcare professionals who build a bunch of hospitals around the world who are building this city? So that's the kind of thing they're looking for. So you've got to put that front and center. So actually, we had one investor in this particular deal. I showed this to five different investors. They all said the same thing about the team. And it's really my fault for not digging in a bit more. I'm, I'm not a mining expert, but I'm becoming one quickly. <laughs> but actually, one investor said, look, give yourselves a nice cut of the equity on this deal and then get, get out of the way. Yeah, Hire a really top-notch group of people to put in front of this thing and run it. And that's and hard for folks like that to hear sometimes, right? Or or to internalize and to do it. And that's kind of my job as a broker is mm-hmm. I can have those conversations. With mm. I'm going to tell you, you know, and I would say, and I, I remember I wrote this email like two days ago, like uh, in the spirit of trying to make this thing work, mm-hmm. okay, this is what I would suggest. Mm. And this is, we're getting this directly from the horse's mouth. These are people who have, each of these people could write a single check. And this is in multiple hundreds of millions of dollars. And make this happen. And they know the business. So you got to change what you're presenting. And they might even know the team that could execute on it, right? Very, very possibly. Right. Yep. Because of their networks and uh, connections. That's very true. Heavy. Right. That's very true. So that's a good example of the importance of team. And I think that scales all the way from $5 million and up. Mm-hmm. You know, really. Awesome. So, Dave, this has been great. Um it's it's been great to catch up with with uh, something that's relatively new that mm-hmm. you've 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 unveiled. Um, so for those that would like to be in touch with you, either from a in, investor perspective or um, someone that's looking for funds, uh, tell them how they can do that. Yeah, I'm I can uh, I'm happy to talk to anyone about this. It's this is our business. Mm-hmm. I get a lot of uh, contacts on LinkedIn. That's a great way I, mm-hmm. I, I manage, I monitor my LinkedIn messaging and email of course is great. I, I don't typically answer the phone a whole lot okay. unless I know who you are, Right. but email Dave at concapglobal.com is a great place to uh, get with me and I'll ask questions. Uh, I'm very unlikely to get in a car uh, before I know you really well. Right. Car time is kind of a waste I've found these days. Particularly in Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. I just hate getting in a car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right there with you. And and on LinkedIn, you mentioned LinkedIn, but you're Dave Bernard on LinkedIn. That's right. Okay. Yeah, it's easy to find me on LinkedIn. Sure. Awesome. And there's actually very little about this company on LinkedIn, and that's by design because if we're not marketing ourselves at all right now, right. we'd get we'd get inundated if we if we did. Well, and you're not looking for investors that are below a certain pretty high level. Yeah. At the moment. Right. Uh, and deal flow, though, is can be almost any any level. We'll look at it and tell you what we think. Because mm-hmm. we do want, we do have a plan to raise our own fund eventually and become dealers and and invest in smaller deals right. ourselves. So we do want to keep our finger on that pulse. Awesome. Dave Bernard with Concap Global. Dave, thanks for being with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah, always great to see you. Um. Folks, just a reminder that you are connected now more than ever, whether it's your friends, your family, or your life. Renaissance Bank understands how you bank, offering you mobile banking services that you need, but they also know that sometimes you need to speak to real people 
with real answers that are in real offices uh, available for you, and that's why they have more than 190 convenient locations throughout the South ready to serve you. For more information, go to renaissancebank.com, Renaissance Bank, understanding you, member FDIC. Uh, just a reminder, folks, you can listen to Alpharetta Tech Talk every Thursday, live at 1130. If you miss any of our live shows, you can find us on all the usual podcast apps, Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify. I could keep going on, uh, but Apple and Spotify have about 70% of the market. So we we're, <laughs> there you go, right? Uh, but uh, we, we can be found. Uh, so check us out. Uh, also, you can go to North Fulton Business Radio X.com and find not only this show, but a, a lot of uh, our shows, including North Fulton Business Radio uh, and a, a lot of great, uh, a great lineup of shows there. So check us out there. Um, so for my guest, Dave Bernard, I'm John Ray. Join us next time here on Alpharetta Tech Talk.